You're listening to Hive Hoops, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. Here's your host, Joshua Balta. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Hive Hoops. I am your host, Joshua Balta. And thanks for listening to another episode of Hive Hoops. You knew where to find us. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, CastBox, you name it. Hive Hoops is available across multiple platforms. Be sure to subscribe. Leave a review. Let us know what you're thinking about the episodes and what you're thinking about Hive Hoops overall. We'd love to hear from you. Now, we're bringing you a Halloween edition. And before we get to the horrifying second-half performance from the Charlotte Hornets versus the Sacramento Kings on Halloween night, we're going to try to start on a high. We're gonna, it, it's going to get a little ugly in the middle. We, got, we have to address some things. But we're going to also attempt to finish on a high note as well because there is some love to be shown. There need some things need to be answered, and we're going to get to that. Kelly Oubre, team defense, not being able to figure out switches, getting lost on any type of screen, and then Gordon Hayward's disappearance act straight ghosted us on Halloween night in the second half. But we also got to get to PJ's performance. We got to show love to a few other Hornets who have been playing well because there are some good things. But first, with it being Halloween, we got to talk candy. And so we're going to start here. Got to give you my five, my top five candies on Halloween night. Number one, I'm going way out of the box. No, I'm going to start five. I'm going to start five and we're going to work our way to number one. Because that's what all good lists do, right? Can't go, you can't start one and go to five. You got to start five and trickle back down to one. There we go. So, number five, give me those purple Skittles. All right. Now, if, you, if you're one of those houses that's giving out full size, go for it. Okay. But I even take the mini packs on these. The purple Skittles are the best Skittles. The red, the red pack of Skittles can go. I don't need that in my life. But the purple, the wild berry, oh my goodness. Love when my kids have that in their Halloween bag and I can just snatch that. Phenomenal. Number five, purple Skittles. Number four, Butterfinger. I never eat Butterfingers except on Halloween. There's something about it. I don't know if it just goes with the holiday if it just feels like the right time it just butterfingers never come to my mind at any other part of the year and I'll I'll be honest I'm not much of a sweet eater as far as candy goes chocolate candy bars things of that nature that's that's not really my thing but on halloween night when you have the little mini butterfingers it's next level. An entire Butterfinger, I don't even want the full-size Butterfinger. It's, that's too much. It's just too much crunch, 
You know, it's got that distinct flavor. I think it by the time that you eat an entire Butterfinger, not only, you know, are are you kind of getting used to the taste and you wanting something different, but you're also full because there's there, there's a lot of substance to a Butterfinger. So just give me the tiny little mini, the mini fun sizes. That's perfect. Love Butterfingers on Halloween night. Number three, sour gummy worms. Give me my sour gummy worms. A little trolley, mini packs with the with the uh the red and yellow. Everybody always goes with the red and blue, or some people say pink and blue sour gummy worm as their favorite. No, 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 no. The yellow and the red sour gummy worm is by far the best. The orange and the green can, I mean, I'll throw those out. I mean, it ain't even worth my time to be chomping on those. But the sour gummy worms, it's just a nice mix-up. You got some chocolate. You also need a little bit of gummy in your life. You can't go all chocolate because then you just end up feeling bad. You just, nah, you need some variety. And so you got to go sour gummy worms, number three. Number two, the Reese's pumpkin. The Reese's pumpkin. Now, you can go milk chocolate or you can go white chocolate, either one. I like to alternate, actually. So give me one milk chocolate, then I'm going to pop back over to uh, white chocolate. Then I'll go back to milk chocolate just to go in return to white chocolate. The pumpkins are the the holiday additions of the Reese's peanut butter cups are way better than a normal Reese's cup because the, the normal Reese's cup has that hard edge with the lines on it. You guys know what I'm talking about. No, when you just have, and the holiday versions, whether that be the pumpkin or the Christmas tree, or the the bunny, or the egg. It's not a bunny. It's an egg. Those versions of the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, by far the best. Give me those. That's number two. Number one. And I'm going way out of the box because nobody has ever agreed with me here. But this is the number one candy bar on the planet. Mounds. Give me that mounds, baby. Dark chocolate, coconut, soft. Oh, it melts in your mouth. It's so good. And people constantly sleep on the mounds. And it frustrates me. I love Almond Joys, too. I didn't put Almond Joy on this list just because I have the mounds. Almond Joy is a must. You got the almond in it. It's got the milk chocolate on the almond on the Almond Joy, though. I like the dark chocolate coconut mix better than the milk chocolate coconut mix. Mounds is phenomenal. My kids got zero mounds in their candy stash this year. I was pretty pissed because not only are people sleeping on how good they are, people didn't even buy them to hand out. They didn't think the kids would like it. Think about the parents. Think about us. So now transitioning to what was just a terrifyingly 
atrocious second half of basketball by the Charlotte Hornets against the Sacramento Kings on Halloween night. I missed the first half because I took my kids trick-or-treating around the neighborhood. We started early before it got dark so that by the time we got back to the house, it was just now, it was about a minute before halftime. And so it saw the score, Hornets leading by 15, heading into the break. Halftime happens. I go up. I steal some of my kids' candy. I come down. I'm feeling good. Because honestly, coming into this game, I felt much like I did about the Magic game and thinking that coming off of a huge win at that point to the Hawks and then going into the Magic game, that it was that was going to be one of those games where the Hornets struggled, where they were going to lose. I fully believed that they were going to lose that Magic game, even though they were down five starters. Go back and listen to the previ- previous episodes. Here, once again, coming off the win against the Warriors and rebounding and playing a Kings team at home, that's one that you should win. But what we've come to know from the Hornets in recent years is you don't know what they're going to give you on any given night. Halloween night, Jekyll and Hyde was fully out. The first half was a Jekyll. The second half was a Hyde. And that's how that's how prior seasons have gone when the Hornets have these big matchups against premier teams and then they show up or when the Hornets are missing some guys, some key rotational players, they play well in their stead and they fight and they battle and they're in the game and they have a chance to win. Sometimes they win them, sometimes they lose. Or when just it's a premier team and the team's healthy, the Hornets are healthy, they show up. But then you play against some of these bottom-feeding teams like the Magic or the Kings, and you just you leave the game scratching your head, wondering who, who exactly is this team. And so it's just this cycle that's kind of become the norm. And so to you Hornets fans who are listening right now, I know that you felt these things because I felt them. And this is what this team has started to show us. Now, not this team for this season. That's not what I'm saying. But the organization in pa- in the past few seasons and now what we've seen so far in seven games this season, it just seems that the Hornets – show up for those big games, but then in games they should win, they leave you wanting something else and something more, a win. That's what we want. We want to win. So the Hornets lose to the Sacramento Kings 115-108 on Halloween evening after leading by 15 points at the break. This is extremely frustrating. Because these are the games you have to win. I know I sound like a broken record. And I've stated this in prior episodes because they resemble this same situation so greatly. 
it just the beginning portion of the schedule for the Hornets, this is where the team needs to rack up some wins on this front end. Because once the Hornets get into the middle of December and on into the spring, the schedule is tough. You have the West Coast trip in the middle of December. You have some big matchups against some of the top teams in the East or what we project to be some of some of the top teams in the East in the spring. Right now, these matchups against the Magic, against the Kings, against the Knicks, even missing LaMelo and Terry and Cody, these are games you need to find a way to win. Because look, it's been well documented that LaMelo, Terry, and Cody are not playing. Everybody knows this, right? But what's happening here isn't exclusive to the Hornets. In these matchups, we're we are not the only team who is missing key players. The Magic were missing five rotational players. The Kings. De'Aaron Fox went out of the game, did not play in the second half. He's arguably Sacramento's best player. Towards the end of the game, Sabonis fouls out. Who would be arguably the other player people may would say is the Kings best player. And so the Hornets aren't the only team that's dealing with injury. And so I think that's something that has me frustrated. I think that's something that has this fan base frustrated with these games that the Hornets are dropping early on. It's not as if the Hornets are without their best players and the other teams are at full strength, and it just is what it is. Like, the Hornets are going up against fully healthy teams who are playing well, who just so happen to be healthier and in a better spot currently. That's not what's happening here. And so the frustrating part to this is these other teams are also dealing with with their own injuries, with their own losses, and missing key players. But yet, they're finding ways to win against the Hornets. Win, previous winless teams, previous one-win teams who are dealing with injuries are finding ways to beat the Hornets. These previous winless teams who are missing some of their key players who had not won a game with their key players playing or who had won one game but had their best players playing. Now they're missing those guys, but they find a way to beat the Charlotte Hornets. And so this has me, the results, the results are reminding me of prior seasons. Not what I'm seeing on the floor as as far as production, as far as 
play and scheme and style, that I can see a difference. I think we all can see a a difference in the product on the floor. It's the results that are reminding me, and many of you, I'm sure, of prior Hornet seasons where you just lay duds against some of the worst teams in the league, and then you get to April, and you need two, three, four extra wins, and you look back on the season, and you dropped games to the Orlando Magic, missing five rotational players. To the Sacramento Kings, when you were at home, up 15 at the half, and their best player goes down with an injury. Their next best player fouls out of the game. And so those are the games you look back at and you're like, man, we really needed to have that one. And so I get the Hornets are without LaMelo, Terry, and Cody. We know these other teams are missing guys too, and they're finding a way to beat the Charlotte Hornets. That's frustrating. Now, there are plenty of good things that we have seen from this team as well. So I don't want to overshadow the good with the negative, but the negative needs to be addressed. And something I respect Coach Clifford for is he's not pulling any stops. Jalen McDaniels was on WFNZ the other morning talking with Mac and Bone on the Mac Attack show. And this was, I believe it was Halloween morning. Yes, it was. And so Mac and Bone were talking to Jalen McDaniels about Coach Cliff. And Jalen just, he's hard-nosed. He doesn't hold anything back. He tells you, if you're playing poorly, if you're playing bad, he's going to let you know. He's not going to sugarcoat. He's not going, I'm paraphrasing at this point, he's not going to do those things. And so the number one word that comes to mind with that is accountability. And and I can see that in the post-game pressers. Cliff's not holding back. He's saying it's bad basketball, fouling too much. It's bad basketball. We're not getting out on shooters. We're going over the the sets that these other teams run in pregame, and yet we get to the game and we're just blowing coverages, not fighting through screens, not being in the right positions in order to contest these shots in these sets. And so that's a positive. And once the team is healthy, I think that the Charlotte Hornets will be okay. But in the meantime, I know a lot of people are saying, hey, you would have been happy if the team was three and four after seven games had they been had you had known that they would be without LaMelo, Terry, and Cody for that duration. Yeah, you're probably right. But is that supposed to make me feel good about a 15-point lead that is blown at home when the other team's best player goes down with an injury and doesn't even return for the second half? That's not. No, you have to steal games in this league. You have to steal games. And maybe you say that the Hornets stole the game against the Warriors. I don't know. They've they've dropped three straight now. Lost to the Pistons. Lost to the Heat. 
think the Heat's a pretty good team, but, I mean, they don't have a great record right now. They'll be okay. But, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Call that a steal. The Hawks game, sure, stole that one. But you have to win the games that you're supposed to win as well. That's the thing about this league. Win the games you're supposed to win and then steal a few. And if you do that, you'll be in a good position to make the playoffs and to put your team in the best situation that it possibly can be in. It's the results reminding me of prior seasons. It's not what I'm seeing with my eyes. The eye test, and even statistically speaking, is showing improvement, but it still doesn't mean that this loss doesn't suck, because it does. The Hornets have moved currently. They're up to ninth defensively. That is a big improvement. You can see that with your eyes when you watch this team play. Now, you couldn't tell it in the third quarter the other day, the other night, Halloween night. You couldn't tell it then. But a lot of that was contributed to live ball turnovers, just turnovers in general, and giving the Kings so many opportunities to score that they just got in a rhythm, started hitting shots, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a in a dogfight when you were just up double digits. Dennis Smith Jr. continues to be a bright spot. That's something that the Hornets have not seen, a, a guard who can lock up on the perimeter defensively. Nick Richards is another one. Stated this in prior episodes, but just to, you know, balance out the negative in this episode, Nick Richards has been a positive. Top 25 in win shares in the league early on. Now, small sample size, only seven games, but still impacting winning. Top 35 in offensive rating in the entire league is Nick Richards. He's ranked 35th in offensive rating in the league. That's good. That's really good. And so those are just two individual aspects that I can see and that many of you can as well that shows that I don't think this team is going to be what it has been in prior seasons, but these results have got to stop where the Hornets are losing to the Sacramento Kings and the Orlando Magic and the Houston Rockets of the league. That can't happen. Got to beat these teams. You have to. Davion Mitchell goes off, scores 23, and goes 5 of 6 from 3 in the game, which is not who he is as a player. Eric Collins continued to say on the broadcast, he's 2 of 12 coming into the game. One of those nights, he caught, he caught fire. And it seems to happen all the time to the Hornets. Just one of those classic Hornets killers where a bench guy or a role player just gets hot and cooks the Hornets and just goes off and just has one of those games that's abnormal and just has a great game against the Hornets. Hoarder, Huerter. 
I, I feel like we're always messing up this this pronunciation. I hear people say all kinds of things for this for this guy. Puerter, Puerter, that boy killed us. 26 points. And the big moments of the game where you really started to feel the energy shift, the momentum shift towards the Kings is when he was just losing Kelly Oubre on the screens where he was coming up to the top of the key and just drilling threes. In real time, you can see it. You're like, Kelly, you got to get there, man. You got to be closer. Oh, you're lost. Oh, no. This is ugly. This is scary for us. Turn your eyes. This is not good. And then, boom, drilled. And then you see it again. You're like, we got to get Kelly off of Huerta. And then you put Gordon Hayward on him, and he still has the space. And he gets right back. I think he missed the next one. Once Gordon was switched to him, he missed that one, but he was open again. Cliff mentioned, I already said, Previously, Cliff mentioned this in the post-game presser, going over these sets in pregame and then just losing the guy. Can't happen. Those things can't happen. And then you got the Hornets. Start of the fourth quarter after the 37-18 to 18 blitz that happened in the third quarter. Hornets up 15 to begin the third, are now down four headed into the fourth quarter, and the Hornets start running everything through P.J. Washington. And P.J. Washington has a hell of a night. Attacking the rim, he goes 12 of 21 for 28 points, five rebounds, three assists, and two blocks. Just another amazing performance from P.J. And to start the fourth quarter, everything was running through him. And he was attacking the rim. His first step, PJ's first step, seems to have improved. Because in these last two matches, he hasn't depended upon the three so much. He started attacking the rim more. And it's, been, and, and it's meant good things for him. And so the Hornets go on a run, running everything through PJ, central focus of the offense. He's getting layup. He's getting good looks at the rim. And then P.J. makes a great play. He drives. He dishes to Nick. Leads cut to two. Hornets are starting to chip uh, away after the lead had ballooned to nine, I believe, for the Kings. And then Trey Lyles hits a three on the next possession. You just felt just kind of... It was one of those where the breath was just knocked out of you because it's Trey Lyles, and he's hitting a big three late in the game. The Hornets recover from that, though, even. Jalen McDaniels hits a big three. Going to talk a little bit more about Jalen in a little bit. Hornets go up, but the lead is squandered. They end up falling to the Sacramento Kings after being up 15. I know I haven't said that at all in this episode. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And it's just frustrating. 
But it leads me to this. Because of all the frustrating things, one thing that I want to look at and point to, because this is starting to become a theme, seven games, you can start to see patterns show. And so Gordon Hayward called out PJ the other day because he can't have five-point performances with one rebound against the Orlando Magic when this team is missing LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, and Cody Martin. Gordon Hayward cannot have the performances that he is having during fourth quarters and overtime for the Charlotte Hornets when they are missing LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, and Cody Martin. And so I'm going to read you off the stats of Gordon Hayward in fourth quarters this year and overtime for the Charlotte Hornets. Gordon Hayward in the fourth quarter has attempted 14 shots across seven games for a total of 14 points. He's 5 of 14 in the fourth quarter. He has six free throw attempts. He's 3 of 6 on those. A career 82% free throw shooter, shooting 50% from the foul line in fourth quarter and overtimes this year. Four rebounds, three assists, and two turnovers in fourth quarters through seven games. In overtime, there's already been two overtime games for the Charlotte Hornets. He's 0 for 2 from the field. Two rebounds, zero assists, zero steals. Gordon Hayward's played 52 minutes and 20 seconds in fourth quarters and overtimes. This season, he scored 14 points. He has three assists. The last time Gordon Hayward scored against the Sacramento Kings was midway in the second quarter. Midway of the second quarter. Gordon Hayward did not score in the second half against the Sacramento Kings in a game in which the Kings rallied from 15 down at halftime, missing their best player, Gordon Hayward did not score. Gordon Hayward in the fourth quarter this year is not attempting enough shots. Through quarters one through three, through seven games, Gordon Hayward is averaging four shots a quarter in quarters one through three. During the fourth quarter, that number falls to only two attempts. And that's an additional time with the Hornets playing additional 10 minutes this season due to the two overtimes. And not only is Gordon Hayward not scoring, which the Hornets desperately need in winning time with their two best scoring options currently injured and not playing in LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier, the Hornets need Gordon Hayward to score and get a bucket in these close games, he's not distributing the ball well either or rebounding. He's not doing the other things that win basketball games. He's not getting assists. 
He's not getting rebounds. He's not doing enough for what we need. I said this the other day. Gordon Hayward raises this, the, the floor of this team. He does. Gordon Hayward is a good basketball player. He raises the floor of this team. But what is starting to be seen with Gordon, he's good for the first half or the first three quarters of a season or a game. In prior seasons, we know Gordon Hayward has struggled with injuries. He's missed the second half of the season or the last third or the last fourth of the season. And so he's not producing for the Hornets when they need him the most. And this has been the biggest gripe against him. When he's on the floor, he's good. But he's not there when you need him the most. The same translates to when he is playing so far this season. The first three quarters of the game, he's playing really well. He's averaging nearly 19 points. Shooting nearly 50%. Four rebounds, four assists. He's playing well through three quarters. He's going full ghost mode in the fourth quarter and in overtime, though. That can't happen from our best player, Mitch Kupchak, from our best player currently with LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier out. He cannot be disappearing in these games in the fourth quarter and overtime. Gordon Hayward was signed to a $120 million deal, and sometimes I feel like we blame him for that number. When Gordon Hayward is who he is, I've tried to stay off of Gordon Hayward the best that I can in previous years. I became extremely frustrated with him when the Hornets were trying to make the playoffs two seasons ago. They only needed to win one game out of the last I think it was six, in order to secure a home play-in game. The Hornets lost each game, and Gordon Hayward had been out for roughly 20 games at that point. Last season, once again, same thing. The Hornets were vying for a top-six seed, ended up missing out by three games, I believe, while Gordon Hayward missed the final 25 games of the season. So very frustrating once again. I've tried to stay off of Gordon Hayward because I know when he's on the floor, he does good things for the Hornets. But the fact of the matter is he disappears when you need him the most, whether that be at the end of the season or thus far through seven games and fourth quarters and overtimes of this season. He's not there when we need him the most. He's not that guy who we can run. We're not even running our offense through him currently. We're turning more so to P.J., And Kelly, hell, you can say Jalen McDaniels is getting more usage than Gordon Hayward down the stretch of these games and and, and hitting more shots and getting more opportunities. Gordon Hayward is 96th in the league in usage rate, and there's no LaMelo Ball, no Terry Rozier. Malik Monk is 95th in usage rate to this point this season. The Sacramento Kings are using... Malik Monk, more than the Charlotte Hornets are getting production from Gordon Hayward. That's crazy. I've said this before and long before this podcast. 
ever began. I hated the Gordon Hayward signing on day one. And while Gordon has offered some good performances, and while I still believe that he raises the floor of this team, it was a bad signing because he's not showing up when you need him the most. He disappears too often when this team needs him the most. Whether that be down the stretch and you need him for a couple games, he can't get healthy. Or whether it's in the fourth quarter of games and overtimes and he's giving you nothing. The Hornets are only going to go so far with Gordon Hayward at his cap hit taking up that much space. It restricts this roster. And I personally believe that as long as Gordon Hayward is rostered, this team will continue to be held back. Whether that be through injury, whether that be down the stretch of games. Now, once LaMelo's back and LaMelo's running point, Terry's out there at the two, Gordon's at the three, PJ's at the four, and then you can, or, or possibly Jalen McDaniel's at the four. He's shooting at such a high clip, you can't forget about him. Maybe you run PJ, small ball five at the end of games. Maybe it's Nick Richards. Maybe it's Mason Plumley. Who knows? Maybe Gordon plays better because he doesn't have as much attention being drawn to him. I'm open for that. But, man, we need you right now, Gordon. Even if it's not scoring, we need you dishing the ball. We need you distributing. Get some rebounds. Affect the game. Make winning plays. We can't have $30 million this season tied up in a player who is of your caliber but is not going to close games and finish out games and win games against teams that we should win against. Play better. Play better. Show up, especially while we're missing our two best players. It falls on you. Show up. Take shots, hit shots. Affect the game. Make winning plays. Going to attempt to finish on a high note, Jalen McDaniels went three or four from three. This guy is a scorcher to begin the season. He was shooting at 58% heading into the Warriors game. He went two of five. That's 40%. So that number dropped. I haven't looked at the number since, but then shooting three of four from three, 75% in the game, that's just going to rise that number right back up. It's playing amazing. Interesting fact that I know that you got that you do not know about the Hornets. James Booknight in the three highest rotations, rotational ratings, James Booknight is in all three rotations. So five men on the floor and the Hornets having the best rotational rating. James Booknight is a part of all three. Fun fact, you did not know that. Now, I'm probably going to start bringing a fun fact to each episode because this is – I'm just going to try to hit you with these nuggets at the end of each episode, and that's one. Who would have thought, with all the struggles that James Booknight has had this season, shot not falling, turnovers, bad decisions, all of those things considered. Now, the minutes – with those rotations, aren't very much. But even still, he's a part of each of the top three rotations for the Charlotte Hornets this season. Lastly, Mark Williams, Bryce McGowan's 
headed to Greensboro. That news dropped today as the Greensboro Swarm look to begin their season November the 4th. Great move and completely expected. Mark Williams is buried on the depth chart. It's not what Hornets fans wanted. It's not what you expected after taking a center in the first round, sending him to Greensboro, no time on the floor in the regular season. Bryce McGowan's he's had a few spot moments when the Hornets have been in foul trouble here and there, or it's been a blowout, either for or against. Looking forward to seeing those guys in Greensboro running. Should see some good production out of them. Hope to see some big growth so that they can become parts of this team sooner than later. Good thing right now is the Hornets are looking deep rotational-wise. And so it's not going to hurt, you know, having these guys in Greensboro. Nick Richards' revelation, you know, pushed Mark Williams down the depth chart. Bryce McGowan's was always going to be far back. Last guy on the roster, first to be sent to Greensboro. It is what it is. Those guys head to Greensboro. Thanks, guys, again, for listening to another episode of Hive Hoops. Be sure to subscribe, all of those things. You'll hear it in the outro here in a minute. Appreciate it. See you next time. Adios. Thanks for listening to Hive Hoops, presented by The League. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to leave a review and let us know what you thought of the episode. Thanks again from Hive Hoops.